This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. With the Dvar Torah on this week's parasha, the Dvar Torah on this week's parasha is as follows. This week's parasha, parasha's bow, parasha's bow. Oh boy, my phone's on. I don't want my phone to be on. So, um, actually we're going to go back for two seconds to parasha Shmos. So, we talked about it, I don't know if I talked here because I don't even remember where I'm, where I'm talking anymore. Um, I think I think it was actually I think it was actually in the boy share um, that I said this that that um, the three things that we have we had in Mitzrayim we had zero assimilation today we're at eighty percent I said it in today's share today we're at eighty percent assimilation the Jewish nation is assimilating at eighty percent they had this whole pure report and this is what we're doing of course in our circles not not in the Orthodox circles but outside we're mamish losing four fifth of Klaistel the Chidah says that when Mashiach comes, just like the Chamushim Olam in Mitzrayim, only one-fifth of Klai Yisrael left Mitzrayim, four-fifths died in Choshech, died in the darkness, four-fifths of the Jews because they didn't want to leave. They had they had slavery mentality. When Moshe Rabbeinu said, let's leave Mitzrayim, four-fifths of them said, no, we're happy, even though we're slaves, but we have food, we have a place to sleep. You're going to take us out into the desert, we're not going to have... So that slave mentality, and we could not have a Jewish nation who's getting the Torah to having slave mentality. So those four-fifths died. And the Mitzrayim didn't see them die because it was dark. And only one-fifth of Klai Yisrael came out of Mitzrayim. 600,000 600, men, there were three million actually. So it says, V'chamushim alu, only one-fifth. So it's a very scary chidah. And the chidah says that when Mashiach comes, it'll be the same thing. And only one-fifth of the Jewish nation is going to be saved by Mashiach. He's going to leave with Mashiach. And if you do 80%, right now what's going on, 80% assimilation, that means one-fifth is, is, is not assimilating. So only one-fifth, so what the Chidah says is coming true. It's four-fifths of Christ, well, is becoming non-Jewish, which is really, really, really sad. So I was talking to the boys and some Shirem in Borough Park. So the, the question is, why? Mitzrayim had zero assimilation. No men married non-Jewish women, and no Jewish women married Egyptian men. How come? They're on the 49th level of Tomah. They served the Zara. How come no Jewish guys hung out with Mitzri women? And how come no Jewish girls went to clubs and hung out with Mitzri men? Why not? Did so, get married in What? Yeah, sure. They had, six, they had six children at a time. Okay. Shh. It was good business for the diaper service. That's for sure. <laughs> right? Six kids at one time. So, so, Why? Why do we have 80% assimilation and in Egypt the Jews had 0% assimilation? So the answer that the Mepharshim say is, I'm going to try to be careful what I say tonight, Shaloshinu, that they didn't change their clothing, which is very funny because one of the kids in my class when I first taught this in 8th grade, and I was saying, like, the three things they didn't do. One, the first thing is they didn't change their clothing. The kids said, of course nobody wanted to marry them. 210 years, they never changed their clothing. Right? So one of the, I said, no, that's not, that's not what I really meant. I had to explain to my class. That it didn't mean they didn't change their clothing. It meant that they didn't get dressed like the non-Jewish people. They, 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 they dressed, they didn't dress like Egyptians. They, they kept their Jewish dress. And they didn't change their names, which we'll talk about for a few minutes here tonight. They didn't change their names. Um, which is very important, and they didn't change their language. Now, it doesn't mean that it doesn't mean only do, that they spoke Ivrit, right? 
it means the way they spoke. In other words, they didn't speak slang, they didn't speak disrespectful, they didn't change their language. And because, all the Mephoshim say this, because they didn't change these three things, they didn't assimilate. If you look different, and you talk different, and your name is different, then you stay different. But if you talk like them, and you dress like them, and your name is like them, you have 80% assimilation. So, it's just very interesting because it's a, um, and, and you know what, I, I'm going to get this out of the way in the beginning of this year. So, I have been getting hammered, and some of you know about this, some of you don't. The younger generation knows about it, the older generation maybe not. But I've been getting being hammered for the last three to four weeks because of something that went on to Facebook and all over the internet. My share that I gave actually sitting here in May before Shavuos. So someone decided that. Rabbi Walton became famous when he got, he spoke in the Gooda Convention. Everybody was saying, finally a rabbi got up and is defending the kids and is talking about the problems. So this one guy said, no, rabbis can't be good. So he went looking for something that he could cyber assassinate Rabbi Wallerstein, which he found, um, a share that I gave a while back, and told everyone to go to minute number 39, which any normal human being would say, why does he want me to hear the whole story? Like, why would someone tell me to go to minute 39, right? So, so people went to minute 39, and it was my share on Zumba. Now, I don't know how many of you were here at that share, Probably most of you weren't, but it was. A, but I was talking to my girls in Arnava, and I was explaining to them: if you don't listen to non-Jewish music, if that's something you don't do, then don't be fooled by the satan who's going to get you to exercise to non-Jewish music. Then you're going to like it. Then you listen to it in your car. Then you're going to buy the CD, and all of a sudden you say, like, how come I'm listening to non-Jewish music? So I said, you need to be very careful. And I and I and I, and I said the type of music it is, and the and the there was something else that was going on in Flappish at the time. Um, that I was reading uh, reading about that I don't even want to mention again. So this person took it and he took pieces of my speech and he put them all together and he called women that I I got to Michigan. And then all of a sudden people started canceling. I was supposed to go speak in the shul. You can't come. The Rebetzin Zumba is the Zumba instructor. The women are Zumbing. They don't want you here. You spoke bad about Zumba. And I'm thinking to myself, wow, what did I do? Did I speak bad about Rav Chaim Kainevsky? Did I speak about the Rebetzin? Did I speak about the Torah? They're slamming me because I spoke bad about an exercise. That's why you're slam, slamming me? But okay. So, I got thousands of emails, cancellations. I'm a monster because I spoke against Zumba. Did you manage such a thing? Right? And, and, and I'm, a, I'm anti-women's rights because you're one of those old rabbis. Women can't dance. Women can't listen to music. I'm like, right, I'm anti-women rights. I opened the Ornava for women, a high school for women, two seminaries for women. Hello? What are you talking about? If anything, the guys are complaining. You're anti-guys rights. But the women, right? So it, it went totally out of hand. So I want to say something that someone came over to me last week and he said, you know, I hear what's going on with Zumba. I'm like, leave me alone. Baruch Hashem. I have a cell phone like this. I don't have internet. So what's going on in that world, which I'm not, I talk always against Facebook and all these things. I don't have it. So I don't know what's going on over there. They might be shooting me. I don't know about it because I have this nebuch, this poor old little flip phone, which one day is going to be worth a lot of money. It's going to be hanging in a museum, right? A flip phone. No one's going to have it but me, right? So I don't really know what's going on. But anyway, I just want to tell you something, which I think is, which is really, really important. Of course, it was, it was very, very unfair what this person did, um, that he took pieces and he, and he cut it out. I was like, I was like, imagine, imagine I was in, um, I was called into Satmer 
in, in Williamsburg, right? And, and in Satmar, Williamsburg, the, school, the girls' school, so the women wear seamed stockings. And the reason they wear seamed stockings, which is a seam at the back of the stocking, is that every, that you should know that, that they're not going barefoot, that they're wearing stockings. So if you just wear plain stockings, no one really knows if you're wearing stockings or not, right? If they're good stockings and they're not black. But if, but if there's a seam, you know that the person, so it's a, it's a thing in sneers to wear seamed stockings. Let's say one day the Rebbe called me and say, hey, Wallace, we have a problem. There's two girls that are not wearing seam stockings. I need you to talk to the class. And I would get up in the class and I would say, listen, you know, you have a Masoira from your mothers and your grandmothers and your great-grandmothers that in Satmar and Hasidic world, to be Tzniyas, you're supposed to have seam stockings. Now cut that and paste it and put it out on the internet. Rabbi Wallerstein said, that for a Jewish woman to be tzniyas, you have to wear seam stockings. That's not what I said. I'm talking, right? So I was talking to girls in this room. He went out of the room, and, and, and what, I, what, what I'm crying about is not me. The Lush and Hara and Rechilas and Mighty Shemra that goes on on Facebook and all these places. And we are, when we're on that, it's like, it's like the Chavetz Chaim, it's like, it's like the Chavetz Chaim's biggest nightmare. Because people are talking bad about people. They don't even ask you, who is this? Go to the 39th minute. So I, so I stopped. Assassination. It's called an assassination. It's called cyber assassination. They do that to me. That kid killed herself, right? Committed suicide because this mother and a bunch of girls cyber bullied her. And she's sitting in jail now for 20 years, that mother. So it's, 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 a, it's not a good place. It's really not a good place. Be in the real world. You know, in the real world, you have to face the person. You want to tell them something, you have to face them. These people, they don't, they don't put their names on. Okay, but anyway, so... I didn't say Zumba is bad for this, Zumba that depends on the person, depends on where they're at, whatever it is. But anyway, something happened this past week, which I want to tell everybody because I find it fascinating, and I wish that this would have happened to me 36, a long time ago, because it would save me from a lot of things that I did. This guy comes over to me and surely goes, wow, you really get whacked around. Right? I'm like, what? He goes, you know, this whole Zumba thing, you know, my wife and this and that, they're talking about you and like, whatever. I'm like, I, listen, I said, what do you want from me? I was talking to my girls. It wasn't, it was, wasn't meant to go out to the world. I have a right to talk to my girls. You put it on Torah anytime. I, I have a right to tell my girls anything that I feel right. He says, I want to tell you something. He says, how do you know if it's right or wrong? Maybe you're honesty, maybe you're wrong. Maybe it's not such a bad thing. Right? Maybe it's not the end of the world, depending who it's for. Right? He says, I'll tell you how you know. It's fascinating, this guy. His mouth opened my eyes. He said, before you do something... You need to think the following. Imagine a mother who's going to dance Zumba. Now, I was never in Zumba. I never watched anyone dance in Zumba. But people who were Bali Chubas who went there and said to me, I don't understand women, shape, look, all this. I don't understand what's going on. This is, this is what I did in a nightclub. What, what's going on over here? And these were Bali Chubas like, I'm here because I used to dance in a nightclub with boys. So this is better. What are, what are these people with shape, look? What are they doing here? Okay, whatever, right? He said, just tell the women and tell, and, and tell yourself, tell everybody. Whatever you're about to do, it doesn't have to be something, anything in your life. If you video what you're about to do, and Matzi Shabbos, you call your daughters, who go to Beis Yaakov and all these other schools, and your sons who are going to Yeshiva, and you say, Mommy wants you to come down to the basement, Mommy wants to show you a video of Mommy dancing Zumba. <laughs> if you would call your Beis Yaakov daughters down, and your yeshiva boys down to watch you dance like that, and you have no problem, it's fine. There's no problem. But if you're not willing for your children to watch that, 
If you're ashamed to show your children what you're doing, he said, watching it. Now, I myself, right, used to gamble many years ago. And I myself made a kosher in my head. Why? Not only was it kosher, but I was a tzaddik. Why was I a tzaddik? Because the Gemara says for two reasons you're not allowed to gamble. One, you're destroying the world. Because if everybody in the world is gambling, then there's no farmers, and there's no one making clothing, and there's no one building buildings. Everyone's sitting around, money's going from me to you, then you lose the money to her, then she loses the money to her, and money's going from hand to hand to hand to hand, and the world's going to starve. Nobody's farming, nobody's planting, nobody's doing anything. So the Gemara says you're destroying the world. So a person who gambles for a living is destroying the world. You're not allowed to gamble. Okay. What's the second reason you're not allowed to gamble? You're stealing. Because at the end of the day, if you're gambling with another Jew, if he knew that he was going to lose, would he play? No. So he's thinking he's going to win. So when he loses, he's not so happy about giving you his money. So he's not giving it bedas, with full will. If you take money from another Jew, without, from anybody, without full will, you're stealing from him. Therefore, for those two reasons, a person who gambles is not allowed to be a witness at a wedding. He's not, he's not, you're not allowed, you're not allowed to, you're not allowed to gamble. Okay, I don't have either of those problems. One, I don't gamble for a living. I have a plastic bag business, a factory in China with 500 Chinamen working that I'm supporting, right? I got salespeople. So I don't, I'm, I'm, I'm giving people jobs. I don't gamble for a living. It's my hobby. It's my side thing. It's what I do on the side. But so, according to the Gemara, I'm not doing anything wrong. I work. I give people jobs. On the side, I gamble. So I'm good with that. Stealing? I would never play with a Jew. No Hanukkah. No friends. Go to Atlantic City. Go to Las Vegas. That belongs to non-Jews. That belongs to the state of Nevada. That belongs to the state of New Jersey. They say, come and play. Don't worry. We didn't build this hotel from winners. We're not, we don't have a staff of 10,000 people from winners. We are not worried about you. So I'm not stealing from a Jew. I'm not stealing from anyone. They're saying come and play. So I'm not a Ghanav and I'm not destroying the world. Why can't I gamble? Now, on top of that, I wear a yarmulke while I'm playing. I'm sitting in a casino playing and I'm tipping the waitress. Big tip. And I'm tipping the dealer. And they're like, what a Kiddush Hashem. They thought Jews were cheap. Zechariah Wallerstein is proving to the whole world that Jews are not cheap. We spend the money. And then one night I was sitting there and I did very well and I tipped a crazy amount. I'm not saying it. I said it once on the sheer and I'm not saying it because all the gamblers were like, wow, if you tip that, then you make that. And they were trying to figure out whatever. But it was a crazy amount and the whole shift, 150 people lined up to thank me. Because all those tips went to the whole ship. So I had people coming over to me, Mr. Wallstein, my son's going to college now, and I got the new part of my house that I wanted to build. And I sat there, I'm like, Kishbachum! What Sonic? Look what I'm doing! This is the biggest Kiddush Hashem that ever happened in Caesars, right? Atlantic City. They're all lining up and thanking Wallstein with his yarmulke for giving them all this money. Not only did I not think I was doing something wrong, I thought it was the biggest Saturday. I sat there with my Nestle's Crunch. I didn't drink. I didn't do anything wrong. He used to bring me Nestle's Crunch. And I made a big bracha, shot in a bottle. And all the guys on the other table said, Amen. Right? We had a meeting for Mincha. It was, it was, it was day. They were thinking there were so many Jews in the pit that they were going to put a mezuzah on the door. I said, no, you don't have to put a mezuzah on the door. So I thought it was a big Saturday. But had I known, had I known, had I met this guy, 26 years ago, before I started gambling, and he would have said to me, 
I hear everything you're saying. It's you're not doing it for a living. It's just a hobby. You're relaxing. You're not using anybody else's money. You're not stealing. You're making kiddush Hashem. But he said, but when you get home tonight, when you finish gambling, your five daughters that are in Beis Yaakov, show, take a video of you playing in a casino with waitresses and, and, and people cursing and drinking and chips and money and take this video and show it to your five daughters tonight. Call them all downstairs and say, Shaykh Tati wants to show you a video. Tati in Las Vegas. Did you have shown that video to your daughters? I said, are you kidding me? Chas v'shalom. I used to bring home robes and turn them inside out so they couldn't see the name of the, of the hotel that I took the robes from. Of course I would never let my daughters watch me playing in a casino. My daughter should see that? Are you crazy? He says, so then you're, then you're doing something wrong. If you can't show your children what you're doing, then anything that comes out of your mouth, you're a hypocrite. So I'm not poskening on anything that we do. I'm just telling you that if you want to know if it's wrong or right, if you have no problem taking a video of what you're doing and showing it to your daughters and your sons, do it. But if you have a problem and you're like, I can do this, but my kids can't know I'm doing this and I can't show them to this, then it's wrong. Then all your answers, including me, all my answers, there's no way I would ever let my daughter see a video of me in a casino. I would never show her that. So then it's wrong. And And this guy walked away from me and I was like, Wow, where were you 25, 30 years ago? Because I did, I, I'm not any different than what I spoke about. Because I also made it kosher. I'm like, I'm not hurting anyone, I'm not stealing from anyone, it's my money, and according to the Gemara, I'm not doing anything wrong, but I was doing something very wrong. Because if I couldn't show that to my children, if that's not what I want my children to see, then that's not what I'm allowed to do. Because anyway, spiritual DNA, your kids in the Shamas know exactly what you're doing. Because neshamas, it's very scary. It's, it's in many, uh, um, many, many svarim that souls talk to each other. And we know that from dibukim and from other things that they actually talk to each other. So you, that's why when I say something and I really mean it and it's coming from my soul, your soul hears it and, and understands it. What? Especially by twins. I don't know about twins. But by, by everybody. By everybody. And that's what I said in many shiurim ago that if I'm going to talk to you tonight about gambling and how bad gambling is. I'm going to give you stories and you're going to walk out and you're going to say, Rabbi, wow, I've seen shit tonight. On gambling was amazing. And then tonight I go home and I don't tell any of you. I get in the car after the shear and I go down to Atlantic City and I play, but you don't know anything, right? So you would think it was a great shear. You're going to change. You're not going to change. All the Mephoshim say, because what came out of my soul, your soul knows if it's the truth. And if it's a lie, if I'm talking to you about Sneas and I'm not Sneas, Right? Even though I look serious, but I'm not serious, your soul knows, get out of here! I, I'm talking to your soul, you're not serious! So even though your brain, you're gonna walk out and say, wow! What a sheer! From now on, I'm gonna dress differently, in the last two days you'll stop dressing like that. Because what came out of my heart is polluted. So when a parent tells their kid, you know, what's going on with your skirt? Like, this is not how we get dressed! She knows! Deep down, even though here she doesn't, but here she knows exactly how mommy gets dressed. And if mommy doesn't get dressed properly and she's giving this girl musser, it ain't gonna work. It may take a year, it may take two years, but it's not gonna work. The shamas talk, souls talk to souls. 
So you need to think, I'm not talking to anyone here, but we all need to think before we do something, with all our excuses, we have to say, okay, if I'm going to do this and I'm going to video this, will I call my children Matzah Shabbos and show them this video? And the answer is yes, okay. If the answer is no, you can't do it. That's your children. Allah is kama of a kama. God, if you're scared that your kids should not see you that way in a video, God sees it that. God, God is not your kids. He's on a little bit of a higher level than your children. So what are you doing? So what are you doing? But we can't understand that. Because we don't see God. And we don't know God. So therefore, just, he said, the, the, the litmus test is, does mommy want her kindleach to see her that way? If the answer is yes, fine. If the answer is no, then it's wrong. And the same thing with Tati. Does, 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 do I want my girls to see that? I'm in a casino. Sure not. Ever. Ever. Not at this age, not when they were five years old, not at 20 years old, not at 40 years old. I would never, ever play that for my children. They would be embarrassed. Tati, where, where are you? You give shiurim? And I was already in those days. I was teaching in the morning. You're, you're teaching Gemara in the morning? And, and ooh, that's where you were sitting? In the afternoon? I would have been so embarrassed if someone were taking a video and showing it to my kids. It would have been the end of my gambling right there. So therefore, that's how a person, that's the cheshman that you have to make. Because the HR is going to sell you, he sold, he wanted to sell you, I said, you can do the biggest of it. I have heard the craziest of various that people have done, and they've made it right. Totally the biggest mitzvah. I'm telling you, I sat there and thought, I am kind of ganeid then. Everyone's lining up. The biggest kiddush Hashem that a human being ever did. 120 people saying thank you to a Jew. I was called a gentleman Jew. Wow, look what I did for all these people. I was like, it's amazing. I sat there, I thought it was Mama Hashem. So every one of them lined up 4 o'clock in the morning. Mr. Wallstein, thank you very much. Mr. Wallstein, thank you very much. You should know that I was just, I was, I was dying to buy myself a TV, a new TV, but I didn't. But now that I have this money, my son wanted to go to college. And I'm saying, yeah, no problem. I'll see you tomorrow night. We'll do this again. No problem. We'll sit there. Like, yeah. Yamaka, hey. By the way, my sisters are out also. Kiddush Hashem. Hey! I really thought, I, I really thought, I, I really thought I was doing the best thing in the world. Honestly. I really thought so. And all my friends were like, you know, maybe not. And I'm like, no, come on. I'm not doing, according to the title, I'm not doing anything wrong. I definitely would never let my daughter see what that night. That would be the biggest embarrassment. If somebody would have taped that night in, 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 in this casino and shown it to my five daughters, what I look like sitting there, oh my gosh, I would have been so ashamed. I would have never, ever, ever gone back. So I said to this guy, he gave him a big hug. I'm like, for the rest of my life, if that's my husband, Whatever I'm about to do, do I want my children to see this? And the answer is no. Your mama, she saved me from many, many, many things. Because we don't really know right from wrong. Since the Eitz Hadas, the whole thing of the Eitz Hadas was not Ra. It would have been Ra. It would have just been Ra. We could all handle it. Because if it's black and white, we know what's wrong and what's right. What happened by eating from the Eitz Hadas? It mixed black and white. So what looks good, what looks like it's right, isn't right. What looks like it isn't right, it is right. We're all mixed up. So we need something to give us... A, a, a boundary. This is a fantastic boundary. If you don't want your children to, to see that, then you can't do it. Plain and simple. Then you can't do it. You can't do it as parents, neither the husband, neither the wife, neither the husband and wife. You can't do it. If you don't want your kids to see it, if you're going somewhere on vacation and you're going to a terrible beach somewhere where there's all kinds of people that shouldn't be there, right? You can't go there if you can't show your kids where the two of you were. Then you don't belong there. My father always said, a place you have to take your yarmulke off you can't go there. People used to ask me, how come you don't take your yarmulke off? I'm like, because if I take my yarmulke off, then I'm not allowed to be there. So we're going to make a big we, we can really get messed up in our heads. So I, I was just, I, I mean, Hashem sent him. 
because I don't even know why he came over to me. He just came over to me. I don't really know the guy. And he's like, I just got to tell you something. You know what I mean? I don't know wrong or right, but I think this is a great litmus test. And, and, and it is. And it's a very, I think it'll help everybody in this room and everybody who's watching. Then we'll know what's wrong with Ryan. I don't want my kids to see it. Then I can't do it. You'll have a very different life. You'll have a very different life. Okay. Got that off my, my chest. Now we can go further. So, so he talks about, the Yisoscha, so he talks about names. He talks about names. And the importance of not, of not, of not changing your Hebrew name into an English name, or at that time into an Egyptian name. And he says something amazing. He says that Paro understood that the power of a Jew is in your Hebrew name. That's your Shairish, that's who you are. When you come up after 120 years to the next world, they ask you your Hebrew name and your Pasuk. Because that's your source, that's who you are. They don't ask you your English name, they ask you your Hebrew name. So, there's something in a name that connects the Jew to his Shairish. Paro knew this. So the first thing he did with Yosef HaTzadik is that when Yosef HaTzadik became second to the king, what did he say? No longer do we call you Yosef. From now on, we call you Tzostas Panea. He changed his name to an Egyptian name. But Yosef was just as smart as Paro. And you'll see that never, ever is he called Tzostas Panea. And he never called himself Panea. And it says, therefore, it says, Vayomas Yosef, Vemeya Ve'ester Shonim. All 110 years, Yosef died. All 110 years, he was called Yosef. Right? And that's why the last passage is connected to the Elish Mons Bnei Yisrael Habayim Mitzrayim. The names of Klai Yisrael that came to Mitzrayim, that's what kept them, that's what kept them from assimilating. So Paro tried it with Yosef. He right away wanted to take his whole power, his Judaism away, by calling him Tzavtas Paneah. Then what happens? That didn't work. Along comes Yocheved and Miriam. And he calls Yocheved and Miriam and he says, I want you two to become midwives and I want you to kill all the Jewish boys. Now, how are you going to ask Jewish women to kill Jewish boys? Paro wasn't stupid. He knew they're not going to kill Jewish boys. He said, there's only one way to get them to kill Jewish boys. So he right away says to them, right? He right away, by Yikru, Melech Mitzrayim, and Mialdois, right? He, he, and what does he call them? He calls them, Shema Achash Shifra, the Shema Shemesh Pua. He right away changes their name. No, you're not Yechavit anymore. You're Shifra. You're not Miriam anymore. You're Pua. Because he, he, he knows he can't get them to kill Jewish kids if they have Jewish names. People, no, I'm just gonna say that. No. Now, I, I believe that there's a different Shifra, but here, he gave her that name. He gave her Shifra, he gave her, he, and he, there's a lot of Shifras. I'm just, I'm, now you could say that it's a Jewish name now because it's part of the Torah. But Lamaisa, his idea was to give them Egyptian names. Now, this under, this explains an unbelievable passage. If you want to look this up, it's the Bnei Saskar. Maimah Dalid, Drush Yud. I don't think you're going to be looking it up. But anyway, but he, he, he goes into this whole thing. He said that Nebuchadnezzar tried to do this with Daniel. He wanted him to serve a so he changed, he, he changed Daniel's name. He changed, he, he understood that, that he tried to be Shaul and Zion and, and all three of them to change their names into, into Roman names. They understood if you take the Jewish name out, you take the Jew out of the name. You take the name out of the Jew. Right? So listen to this. Beautiful. He says that the, the, the Bnei Sasta says, he says, there's a passage here that we don't understand. It says the following, the, the midwives feared God, and they didn't do what the Melech Mitzrayim told them to do. 
And then the Pasuk, same Pasuk, but the Chayana Sayyadim, and they let the children live. What it should have said, right? The, the midwife feared God, but the Chayana Sayyadim, and they let the children live. It seems to be that letting the children live is a separate thing as the way So he says, They feared God. How did they fear God? Where did they show fear of God? They didn't do what the Melchot Tribes told them to do and change their name. They didn't change their name. That's why they let the children live. Had they changed their name, they would have been able to kill the children. And that's what the Melchot Tribes said to them. I don't understand. You didn't do what I told you to do. Right? And he said, Why did you do this? I tried to change your name. So we see that the power of a name, right? Just a name, just a name. If you change your name, will cause a Jew to be able to hurt another Jew. Because if your name is not a Jewish name, and this, this was Paro's brilliant idea. And they were never called Shifra and Pua after this. You'll never see them in the whole Torah called Shifrapur. They were called Yocheved and Miriam. So he kept trying. He tried Yosef. He tried Yocheved and Miriam. It didn't work. So Al-Akha's Kama Vakama. If you can't change your name, then such an effect on a Jew by changing the name. Then there's, there's many other things that we can't change. And, and, and this was Mitzrayim. In Mitzrayim, they didn't bend. They got dressed like Jews. They talked like Jews. Their names were Jewish. Zero assimilation. Zero. Not 1%, not 10%, not 5%. Zero. One Jewish woman was with a mitzvah because she thought it was her husband. You know, the, the whole story Rashi brings down. But nobody did it on purpose. They came out of Mitzrayim. Not one situation between man and woman, between Jewish man and, and, and non-Jewish woman, and vice versa. What caused them to be in They were big, big into Avaydizara. That was the problem. But but Zara, but not this. And what kept them from assimilating, from actually assimilating, was that they they didn't change. They, they, they look different. Yes, we look different. It doesn't mean we're better. It means we're different. We look different. We talk different. This is what Klaistrol didn't. You know, we didn't walk like an Egyptian. We we just were different, and that that kept us from the assimilation. So that that brings going to bring me to another point. Just a very beautiful. A very, very beautiful Dvatari to say at the table, um, to say at the table this Shabbos. Actually, there, there's two of them. One is that what was the reward of, what was the reward of Miriam and Yocheved for what they did? So it says that Hashem, Hashem made them houses. Rashi says, what does that mean? That they, Hashem made that from these two, from Miriam and from Yocheved would come out Bate Kahuna, Kahanim, Levim, and kings. Those three were going to come out of them. So they asked Akasha, we know that God does everything, Mida, Kenega, Mida. So they saved the Jewish boys. So what's the Mida, Kenega, Mida that from them came Kahanim, Levim, and kings? The Mida, Kenega, Mida, you saved Jewish kids, so your kids will be saved. That's Mida, Kenega, Mida. What does that have to do with Kahanim, Levim? So the Briskorov says something unbelievable. He says that at the end of the day, they didn't save the Jewish nation because had they killed every single boy... Right? The Jewish girls are still alive. And the girls would have married the Mitzrim. And the children from these girls, Jewish girls, would be Jews. So even if all the boys would have died, the Jewish nation would continue. What would have been lost if they, if they would have let all the boys die? What would have been lost? So the fathers, all the boys would be dead. 
So the, the, the women would be marrying Egyptians, so the fathers would be non-Jewish. If all the fathers are non-Jewish, then there's no kahuna in Klai Yisrael. There's no kahanam that goes by the father. And there's no levim. And the, to be a melech, you have the, the, the father can't be a ger. So the mida kenegah mida, unbelievable, the mida kenegah mida, they didn't save Klai Yisrael. They saved kahanam and levim and kings. Because all the fathers would have been non-Jews, there's no kahanam left. So the meter connected meter that Hashem did was you said Kohan and Levian and, 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 and kings. So now you're going to get Bate Kahuna, Bate Levian. Everything Akash Baruch Hu does, which I'll tell you a story tonight, a crazy story. Um, everything Akash Baruch Hu does is Ashkach Apratius and is, and is always, um, meter connected meter. So just re- very, very fast. So the, the story, the story goes like this about, about, so I had, I had a whole thing. I, I spoke Monday night at Muncie and I was supposed to leave my office at a quarter to seven. And to be a munchie at 8 o'clock, because I'm always on time. Um, don't laugh. It's not funny. It's pretty funny. Anyway, so, so I was, that's it. I'm, I'm gonna be on time. There's 200 ladies in munchie waiting for me in a basement. They're gonna be sitting there. I gotta be there at 8 o'clock. Okay, so I'm ready. I'm leaving at a quarter to seven. I don't care what happens. Okay. 10 to 6, I get a phone call. Hi, this is Robert Wallace. And I'm like, yes, this is so and so, a 10th grade teacher in a, in a, in a basic school. I say, how can I help you? She goes, I have to come to your office right now. I have a girl that has to speak to you. I'm like, now tonight, I gotta leave in like half an hour. I gotta go to Muncie. I cannot be late. I cannot let them sit there in this. And she's like, no, you don't understand. She has to come now. I'm like, no, I can't see her today. I, you know, I never say no, but I can't. I gotta go to Muncie. She says, no, I have to tell you what happened. I'm like, okay. She says, so I have this 10th grader. I'm gonna tell it to you very fast. I have this 10th grader and she's, the last couple of months, She's sort of not interested in what we're teaching. She was one of the most brilliant kids in ninth grade. Zipped everything, learned everything, was into everything. And now, she's just not into any Hebrew. She's put her English subject, she's doing amazing. She's not interested anymore. So, so we realize this in the school. And she's, she starts slipping. And, you know, we keep asking her, nothing, nothing wrong, nothing wrong. Any abuse, any this, any that. No, nothing, everything's fine. Okay. She said, today, she was mamish like, I said something in class about Hashem, and she sort of like, she was like angry. So I went over to her after class, I'm like, what's going on with you? You know, you're not the same girl that we had here last year? She goes, no, you don't really want to know. That means you really want to know. In girl language. Anyway, so she said, no, no, I really want to know. She goes, no, no, you, so finally she goes, you want me to tell you? I don't know if you can handle it. She says, I can handle anything. She says, okay, I'm an atheist. Tenth grade Miss Jacob girl. She's an atheist. You hear? So the teacher says, you're an atheist? Yeah, I have a lot of questions. And I don't think God created the world. The teacher's like, would you talk to someone about it? She goes, yeah. Would you talk to Rabbi Wallerstein? She goes, yeah. But I'm telling you right now, I'll only talk to him today. Tomorrow, I don't know if I'll be willing to talk about this anymore. So the teacher's like, Rabbi Wallerstein, we have a tenth grader. She doesn't believe in God. And she, you know, like tomorrow she, she may not talk to you because tomorrow's New Year's Eve and maybe that's where she wants to go on a party. So she don't want to talk to me the next day. But you have to talk to her right now. So I'm like, okay, this is the deal. Ten minutes. I have to leave on time. Ten minutes, they're coming for five. Fine. She walks in, this base Yaakov and girl in a uniform, looks from, looks everything perfect, sits down in front of me. And I make believe I don't know what's wrong. I'm like, hi, hi listen, I, I, I can tell you I only have 15 minutes. So I don't know what's going on in your life, but I have 15 minutes. So what's going on? She goes, Rabbi, I have a lot of questions, and I'm an atheist. And I'm like, do you know how to spell atheist? <laughs> she happens to be very smart, and she goes to a good school, she spells it. 
She knows how to spell it. I'm like, okay. I'm like, can I ask you before we get started? Do you have questions or do you have answers? She goes, what do you mean? I'm like, are you doing something like really bad that you need to get rid of God? So your answer to your behavior is there is no God. So in other words, all your questions, you don't really have questions. You first decided to do something wrong, and now you have to create questions to say, well, there's no God anyway, why shouldn't I do this? Which is 98 point, made 99% of the time. That's why people have questions on God, because if God said you could do whatever you want, there'd be no atheists. Okay, God, you created the world, who cares? I can do whatever I want. The minute God says you can't do this, you can't do that, uh, 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 you didn't create the world, so you can't tell me what to do. But if God said you can do whatever you want, whatever you want, why well, get rid of God? We can blame him for everything. He's great, right? Things went wrong, not my fault. Pasheret, Pasheret, it's God, right? So who, who gets rid of God? You get rid of God when you have something going on. If you need to get rid of God. So I said, before I start with your questions, because I'm not going to sit all day and listen to your questions, unless you really have questions. No, I really have questions. I'm like, okay, so that means you studied Kalatarikula, all the Muslims farm, everything, you know it all, and you have questions on it. Did you study any of this? No. I'm like, so how can you question it till you study it? It's like, it's like me going up to a doctor and questioning him without going to medical school. How, how can you, why are you questioning me? Go to medical school and, and, and you'll, maybe you'll find the answers. Now if you go to medical school and you did all the research of all the medical books and everything, you still didn't find the answer, then you have a question. So I'm like, okay, so I realized at this point that this girl doesn't really have questions, but something's going on in her life and she had to get rid of Hashem. As we know, you don't really leave your environment unless you get pushed out of your environment. So if you're born with God, you don't walk away from God unless somebody pushed you away from God. Because we're very comfortable with our you know, environment. Alaskans don't, don't go to Florida. Floridians don't go to Alaska. Why not? The people in Kansas, they have tornadoes every five days, right? 200 mile hour winds. People are flying all over the place. New Orleans has the hurricane belt for like three months. One hurricane after another. Get out of there! Come to Brooklyn. No, not Brooklyn. But, you know... Go somewhere where they don't have all this stuff. And the answer is, this is where I grew up. I grew up with tornadoes. I grew up with hurricanes. I grew up with this kind of weather. I'm not going anywhere. All right? Otherwise, people would not live in all those places that have all these natural disasters. Right? <laughs> Philippines has one monsoon after another. Every two years, 5,000 people die. Get out of there. No, that's what you're used to. So a person, we know that a person doesn't leave their environment. Nobody just wakes up one morning and says, I'm an atheist. Don't happen. Because you're born with God. If that's how you're brought up, you're very comfortable unless there's a reason that you got pushed, right? So we always look for that reason. We can figure out why you got pushed. We can push you back, right? But people don't leave their environment. So I realize that there's a lot more going on with this girl than, but I can't talk to her about it in front of a teacher. So I'm like, okay, I don't like to prove God because, because, you know, when, when your wife says, prove to me that you love me, that's when your relationship is not good. Because if you have to prove that you love somebody, that means that the person doesn't know that you love them. So I'm very into our relationship with God. Shouldn't be, I proved you that God exists. You should be able to recognize God through His creation. Just like there's, a, I, I'm very into art. I love art. And um, I, I like things that are creative. And I, I love art when, 
somebody looks at a picture and you ask them what is what's going on there and five people have five different opinions I hold that's the best art in the world to color something I have a painting or whatever of two people in the painting and one guy wants to oh that's her grandfather the other one oh, that's her husband oh he's not even a relative I'm like I'll buy that painting because when everyone has their own translation of the painting that's a good painter so there's this one painter that I really like very much and I studied his paintings and I know his brush stroke and I know his colors and he always uses the same colors and they're very dullish oldish kind of color whatever it is so if I walk into a gallery and I see a painting on a wall I'm like I know that's that's him that's him for sure right not Rembrandt I don't I don't I, didn't study, I don't have a Rembrandt no if I had a Rembrandt I wouldn't be here tonight <laughs> but, but a person who studies Rembrandt just looks at a Rembrandt knows right away doesn't have to see a little Rembrandt on, on the corner so, so a person who studies Hashem's beautiful world sees his autograph in every flower and in every sunrise and every sunset God doesn't have to be screamed I'm here just like I don't need to read the bottom of that painting I know exactly who painted it so people who study what Hakkash created and they appreciate it we, we see the signature we know we know we know who made that that painting we know who made that sunrise and that sunset and we know who made that sky right? But and, and that's the relationship because I think it's a very loving relationship that you like. I like to have with God I don't like to prove God that's very cold you know prove to me you love me prove to me you love me prove to you love me leave me alone that's, 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 that's not a relationship right I need to prove to you if I have to prove it to you already that means we're not in a good place at all so and, and, and we know that in our davening and our praying before God asks us to love him he always tells us he loves us who chose Christ with love, right? And then Hashem says, Bahafta, then love me. He first says, I chose you with love. Then he says, Now I can ask you to love me. He always says he loves us first. Before you say Shema, there's always anything, there's always Ba'ahava. He always tells us that he loves us. Ava Sailam says seven times that he loves us before he asks us to love him. That's the relationship. So that's the relationship I like to have with Hashem. I don't like to walk in and say, you that there's a God. But in this case, she wanted proofs. She didn't want an emotional proof. She wanted a logical proof. So I said, I'll give you three proofs, which I'm sure many of you have heard. The proof, the Torah says that the only animal that has split hooves and doesn't chew its cud is a pig. One animal. That's it. Now, if Moshe Rabbeinu wrote the Torah, he would never write that. I would never write that because if you find an animal that has split hooves and doesn't chew its cud and it's not a pig, that means everything in my Torah is not true. So I would never put something in my book that you could prove not true. So I'll tell stories about Tanmachis and splitting of the Amshim. You can't prove that didn't happen. But I'm not going to put something in the book that you could prove wrong. So the only one that could write in the book, in, 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 in the Chumash, that there's only one animal in the world, how would you know that? How would anyone know that? Moshe Rabbeinu lived in a little, in the Middle East, right? How would you know every animal, even today, the, the, what's it called channel, the animal channel, right? Animal planet. Every couple of weeks they find a new species of animals in the Galapagos Islands and in South America. So, so, the only one that could make a statement and say there is no animal in the world that has split hooves and doesn't chew its cut by the pig is the one who created every animal. Because if I created every animal, then I can make that statement. So that's a 100% proof that cannot be denied that the Torah was written by God. Because there is a, something in the Torah that for 5,700 years has not been disproved. And then the Gemara, Torah Shabbat Peh, okay, I believe in that. I believe in the written law, but I don't believe in Torah Shabbat Peh. The Gemara says, that there's no fish, even more than the animal, you can say, God, I don't know, maybe they had Google, Google the animals there, right, maybe, right, the fish says in the Gemara that there's no fish in the world that has scales, but has no fins. Every fish that has scales has fins. Now there's no way you can know what fish are underneath the earth, uh, underneath the ocean. Nobody could see that. So the only one that could know 
that there's no such thing as a fish with scales and no fins is the creator of the world. Because those fish are coming out of a net underneath the water. Nobody could see that. So Kush Baruch made two statements that are undeniable that only God could know. And if they find an animal that has split hooves and doesn't chew its cut and it's not a pig, we're off to McDonald's. So that means, I don't know if that's the first place you'll go, right? But that means that the whole Torah is not true. So that's two 100% proofs. Everyone's thinking like, McDonald's, I got much better places, right? Okay. But anyway, so, and I'll tell you something very funny. I had this once in my class many years ago in my seminary class. And I said, if you found out today that the whole thing isn't true, what would you do? And most of the girls said, I would, I, I would not accept it, whatever it is. At the end of the day, I wouldn't run to McDonald's. I would run... He says, I'm very happy the way most people we're used to, again, our environment. There would no big changes. Baruch Hashem, being a Jew today or ever, it's not so hard. You can eat sushi. You can eat everything that, that, they, that they eat. You can drink and eat pretty much everything that, right? We have restaurants wherever you go. We have minyanim wherever you go, right? What is a Jew missing? What are we missing? That you have to rest on Shabbos? The guy you wish they could rest on Shabbos. I don't even understand how you cannot rest. If I didn't have Shabbos, I wouldn't be here tonight. I would crash. You need one day to totally turn everything off, all the phones and everything off. Shabbos is unbelievable. So really, if you look at Judaism, right? What are we missing? Just the opposite. The, the, the purchasing agent says to me, I don't understand. We have holidays. You have holidays. We don't have eight-day holidays. One day New Year's, one day Christmas, one day Easter. So you guys, eight days Tabernacle. I was like, yeah, we know how to celebrate. Hundred percent. Because you know they don't understand. My my business is closed. They don't understand. You're closed for eight days. Like, what are you talking about? You know, you made up that holiday. I'm like, no. And then Shavuos is not on the on the English uh, calendars. But I'm like, we're closed two days for Shavuos. They're like, Steve, there's no such day. Uh, we. I looked at my calendar. You're making this up, right? I'm like, no, it's, 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 we can't go That's this many months without a holiday. Right, so once every seven days, we have Shabbos, and then they're like, wow, you guys are so lucky. I wish I was Jewish. Get off all these days, and I get paid for it? It would be amazing. Right, we are, we're like, oh, another Yantav, another Yantav, another Shabbos. And they look at it just the opposite. Judaism is, is, is a beautiful, beautiful. So anyway, listen to the third proof. This is something new that I heard a few weeks ago. The third proof is amazing. And this was, this was a rabbi speaking to a bunch of atheists, and they had no answer for this. The third proof is as follows. There are months, we have a different month, right? The Jewish month could be 29 or 30 days. The English month could be 28, February, 29, 30, or 31, right? So a month could be 31 days, could be 28 days. A year, we have a lunar year, the Jews, they have a solar year, different amount of days. There is one universal thing in the world that whether you're a Jew or a Christian or an Aztec or an Intec or whatever you are, and you, if you live, you're an Aborigine, doesn't matter who you are, or where you are, what religion, that everybody agrees. There's only one thing: that a week is seven days. Six days Hashem created the world; the seventh day He rested. There is no religion, Indians, tribal, China. There's one thing we don't agree on: how long a year is. We don't agree on how long a month is. But everyone agrees that a week is seven days. Not eight days, not six days, not nine days. Why? The rabbi asked the atheist, why? How come the whole world agrees that a week is seven days? Do you know why? 
Because when God created the world, it says he created it in six days, and on the seventh day he rested. And Adam, and everyone that came after him, not Jews, right, had a Messorah that God created six days and one day, which is seven days, and that was God's week, right? And therefore, it never changed. If the world would have been created in a bunch of gases bumping into each other, where does the essence of a week come from? Why, why, why is a week seven? Why not one day, five days, three days, a minute? The whole essence of a week is because of creation. And that is universally agreed. That a week is seven days. And they were like, I just heard this the first time in my life, two weeks ago. I was blown away. So there's one girl that had a kasha. I have to look it up. And she said that she thinks she heard a medrish by Esther Hamalka that she had seven girls working for her so that she she keep track of Shabbos because the Persians didn't have a seven-day week. But then I said, but the Medrash says that Vashti specifically made the Jewish girls work on Shabbos. So it's Mashva that they did have a seven-day week. So she said, Vashti made them work on their Shabbos, not on the Persian Shabbos. So I don't know, I have to see this. I have to see if there's such a Medrash that such a thing exists. She claims that the Persians had a, not a seven-day week. I don't know if that's true. I think it's a Medrash that she mixed up a little bit. But whatever, I told them I'm going to look it up. I haven't found it yet. But the said, until I find it, it was universally accepted 100 million percent that a week is seven days. And therefore, how could that be if the world just happened from a bunch of gases bumping into each other? So, I made up a third. You want proof, though, that you're proof. You can't argue those proofs, whatever it is. But I really want to know what's going on and really what, what your questions are because I know that there's something totally different than that going on because you just don't give up God for no reason. If you're giving up God, there's, there's definitely something behind it. Anyway, I want to end with a story which is mind-boggling. Maybe some of you heard this. Maybe you didn't. So, so the whole the whole atheism is based on a word, random. The whole amolek, the whole the whole basis is that things happen random. Kids, say, you know, I'm like, so 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 why'd you do that? I'll ask one of my boys, like, why did you do that? He's like, I don't know, Rebbe. It was just like a random thing, right? It's a big word today, random. Stuff happens, you know. Hey, stuff happens, you know. Nike, right? Things happen, right? So. So just do it. Don't think about it. So randomness means no consequence, by the way. It's a different share. I'm not giving this share tonight, but I have a whole share on this. Um, random means no consequence. So if something happens by, something happens just randomly, so there's no consequence to what happened. If something, if one plus one equals two, so then there's a consequence. One plus one equals two. But if there's random, this is random physics, and if you learn about random physics, random physics is against Bria. You know, it's just stuff happens. Some, some stuff bangs into each other. And all of you in this room, you're just a bunch of gas that banged into each other. And everything just showed up, which is, which is so nonsensical. And I said to her, I said, you want me to prove to you that there's a God? I look at the world and I'm like, you prove to me there isn't. Right? And there's a very famous medrash about this, this in the desert, this very beautiful <coughs> castle. Right? And the, ki- the person that saw the castle said to the person, he said, it's just, he, he said, look at this castle, everything's perfect. And the other person said, nobody built this castle, it just happened. And he said, you, can, you proved to me that it just happened. How could something like this just happen? You know, if I came to you and said that, you know, last night I had to write a report for school today, and it was a 20 page report, and you tell the teacher, you know, I was really very tired. She reads this report, she says, this is the most amazing report I ever read. And you're like, you're not gonna believe how I, how I wrote this report. I was really, really tired, and I didn't want to write the report. So I, I, I took 20 pages, and I put it on my desk, and I put an inkwell next to it, and I wanted to go to sleep, so I took my cat, you know, Harry, my cat, and I put him in the room, and I locked the door, 
And I was like, I hope he bangs it to the inkwell and falls on the paper sheet. And I can believe it. I came the next morning, tells the teacher, I didn't write one thing. Harry hit it, the cat hit it, the ink went all over the place. And look at this beautiful punctuation marks and capitalization and, 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 and paragraphs, right? And she's like, you're lying. Come on. And he's like, no, I'm, I'm serious. Uh, my cat did this. You know, it's just by accident. So what would the teacher say? Prove to me that you have a cat that can write a report. So I say, you prove to me that gases can create such a world. Why do I have to prove to you just the opposite? You're telling me that the cat hit the ink and all this happened. Sunrise, sunset, and earth, and all, earth is spinning in the middle with no strings attached, right? So you prove it to me. So she said, oh, that's what all the rabbis do. You ask them a question, they ask you a question back, whatever it is. That's how we, that's how we started this discussion. So I said, you know what? It's just Pasha, because I heard the story. I said, the opposite of atheism, the, the opposite of randomness is that a Kishbaku has a Hashkacha practice. Everything that happens, happens for a reason. So I want to tell you, we'll end with this. It's a two-minute story. So one day in Israel, if you want to read the story, it's in Elaine Shabayach, right? Written by Rabbi Zilberstein. You should buy the set. It's expensive, but it's so full of great stuff. And he's, he is Rabbi Yashiv's son-in-law. So he's Rabbi Chaim Kainesky's brother-in-law. So he's not, he doesn't make up stories. He's a big, big, big god. So he writes this story. He says, one day in Eretz Yisrael, his family gets a phone call. Hello, uh, we have some really bad news. It's from a nursing home in America that your mother passed away. And um, we have all the papers where exactly what you left. And, she, you know, that she should go to a funeral home and, and that they're gonna, we're going to fly her there. It's, you know, we're going to take care of it. You know, we'll take care of the body. Still Israel, you pick her up at the airport, the body, and, you know, do whatever you have to. So they're, 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 their mother died. And they're waiting for, you know, uh, the funeral home to bring it. So they get off the, the it comes off the plane and they, the, the hearse comes pick, backs up and there's this big wooden coffin and it says, Mrs. So-and-so, their mother's name, her birthday, whatever it is. Okay, so they make a big levaya. They're very sad. Their mother was very old. They said they bury her in Harmanuchais. Beautiful, 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 beautiful burial. Everything goes beautiful, done correctly. They did a tahara in America. They did a tahara, you know, they, they did what they had to do here. She's buried in the right garments. The Kedusha, the Tahara, in, 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 in the Holy Chalik in, in, in Har is fine. They sit Shiva. Second day Shiva, they get a phone call. The nursing home. Hi, are you this so-and-so? Yes. Your mother wants to speak to you. <laughs> True story. Your mother wants to speak to you. Mother wants to, are you, are you making jokes? We just, we, we're sitting Shiva already two days. My mother wants he, the guy says, no, your mother wants to speak. You're not understanding the whole mixture. They didn't know what they did wrong, right? So he says, okay, put her on the phone. She gets on the phone. Chayim! How come nobody called me the last two days? He says, mom, because you're dead. <laughs> we thought you were dead. What's going on over here? So he starts asking, I don't understand. Who's the woman we buried? It's a true story. Who's the woman we buried? So the mother says, it must have been my roommate. My roommate died two days ago. So by accident, by accident the, the ladies, I guess, who took care of it, went into the room. You know, you have the names like in a hospital, and they mixed up the beds, and the body they, they took out of the bed, they thought it was this one, but it was the other name, right? So these people buried someone else in Harmanuchai's widow Leviah, and they already did two-day shiva for some other lady. So they're like, who's the lady that was in the bed next to you? So now everyone's going crazy in the nursing home. They buried the wrong woman, right? They thought they buried their mother. Their mother's alive. So they get the information from the nursing home. We buried somebody else's mother. We need to call them and tell them that their mother died. So they, they give them the number. 
So the guy who, who thought his mother died calls this, these people. That guy picks up the phone and he says, this is a very strange phone call I'm about to tell you, but I, the first thing I need to tell you is that your mother um, passed away two days ago. And the guy on the other line says, really? You sure it was her? He's like, yeah, I'm pretty sure it was her. He says, great! That witch! She's finally gone! We got all her money! Is that what he said? And he said, he said, no, he, and he said, look at these people. Disgusting people. That's how they're talking about their mother, about money. He's like, oh my gosh. The story's not over. So he's like, okay. Um, so the guy says, so, well, we buried her. He's like, you buried her? He says, um, yeah, in Israel. She's buried in Israel. So the guy on the other phone is like screaming to his whatever it is, Mom's gone! She's buried in Israel! Right? It's, it's, it, 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 it's funny because it's, it's such a crazy story. Right? I'm kidding, but it's a crazy story. Anyway, to, to, to get to the end of the story, listen to the end of the story. So, he's like, okay, you know what? It's a Mason Mitzvah. Forget about it. We're not going to ask them for the money. And, and by the way, we already sat two days shiva for these people. They only have five days left, right? Fine. Calls back his mother and says, you know, Ma, we, we thought it was you, so the body we buried and in your place in Har Menuchos. And um, the mother on the other end of the phone is like, like quiet. And like she's like well, maybe crying even a little bit. And he says, Ma, what's going on? What's wrong? She says, you're not going to believe it. He says, what's going on? He says, my roommate, 10 years ago, she, she, I met her. She wasn't religious at all. And over the last 10 years, I got her to light Shabbos candles. And she lit candles every Shabbos. And I got her to make brachas. She was making brachas on all the food that she was eating. She said, but she says to her kids, but I want you to know something. There was one thing that she was always scared of. And she was praying and she was praying and she was praying. There was nothing she could do. She had signed a paper with her kids to be cremated. And she, she now realized that cremation is very wrong. And she's not gonna, when she comes, she's not gonna have Tchisa Mason, cause she's being cremated. And she, she used to cry all the time, Tashem, I can't change it, I signed it, it's too late. I signed it, they signed it, it's done, it's in my will, it's finished. She says, and she didn't know how to get out of it. And I goes, well, listen to her. Not only she didn't get cremated, but she got a, a Leviah of a Tzadikistah. She got buried in Eretz Yisrael on Hananuchais in a Chalik of Tzadikim. And they said, she's buried already. He writes this in the book. He said, she's buried already. Don't take her out. Leave her alone. Don't cremate her. Hashkacha Because Baruch Hu had to make that they took the wrong lady, put the wrong name, buried her in Eretz Yisrael. She wanted badly that she should be buried like a Jew, nothing happens in this world randomly. Everything that happens in this world is Ashkoch Lopratius. And if you want something, and it's the right thing enough, even if HaKadosh Baruch has to have the wrong person buried and by the wrong people, have the wrong kid sitting shiva for the wrong mother, HaKadosh Baruch will do it. If that's what you want to do and you're doing it for the right reason, HaKadosh Baruch will listen. And I told this story to this girl and I'm like, don't ever in your life think that something's random. Definitely that you're sitting, this was yesterday, this was Monday, I said that you're here and that we're talking is not random. And today actually, actually tomorrow, Mitzvah, she's coming to my office and I know that I'm going to find out what's really going on because the Jewish kid doesn't give up God. Just one more second. 
The same day, a boy came to my office. Not a boy. 33 years old. And he came to my office because a cousin of his pushed him to come meet me. He's engaged to a non-Jewish Italian girl. It's his second engagement to a non-Jewish girl. He was engaged, broke up, now he's engaged to another girl. And he said, I just have an affinity for non-Jewish girls. He said something very scary. I spoke about it a little bit today after my share in the morning. I asked him. He has low self-esteem, that's for sure. And I said to him, why you're Jewish? He went to yeshiva. He went to yeshiva that I couldn't get into. That's how good the yeshiva was. Okay? And I said to him, why not, why not Jewish girls? Like, why, why not Jewish girls? There's so many pretty nice Jewish girls. You know what he said to me? He said, I went out with a few Jewish girls. The first question to me is, what do you do for a living? He said, and I'm a waiter. That's what I do. I'm a waiter. I go, I go at night, I go in the morning. And the minute I said I'm a waiter, I never saw them again. He said, non-Jewish girls, they never even asked me what I do for a living. So, that's of course not an excuse. So, he said to me, Rabbi, I will do one thing. One mitzvah. One mitzvah I'll do. What should I do? Which mitzvah? And I didn't know what to tell him. Because I knew he's not going to keep Shabbos. And I said, how about putting on tefillin every day? Because tefillin is, is an ice. There are three things that are an ice. There's ice bris, there's ice Shabbos, and ice which is tefillin. That's why we don't wear tefillin on Shabbos. Because tefillin is an ice and Shabbos is an ice. So you already have an ice, you don't have to wear tefillin. That's why we don't wear tefillin on Shabbos. So I'm thinking to myself... Ois Bris, he's definitely not keeping. Ois Shabbos, he, to, to get a guy to keep Shabbos, I'm like, how about putting on tefillin? He says, I have not put on tefillin, for, he's 33 years old, for 15 years. I said, will you take on yourself to put on tefillin every day? You put on tefillin every day, you come to my office, I will bring my tefillin, I'm going to put on tefillin every day. This boy, who's 33 years old, engaged to a non-Jew, was in my office today, with a pair of tefillin, Shel Roy, Shel Yad. I showed him a picture. I had a mirror. I said, look at you. Look how gorgeous you look. In, a, in, in tefillin. Right? He came. He put on tefillin. He said, Rabbi, I'll see you tomorrow. I like this. Klaisro, there's no randomness in us. Klaisro will always be here. We cannot be destroyed. And we need to know that we have to be proud that we didn't change our clothing, not what my, my kid in my class said, but that we didn't change the style of our clothing, we didn't change our names, and we didn't change the way we talk. And you have to look in the mirror, and you have to see the ice, you have to see that you're different, and that you're special. You're not better, but we're special, and we're different, and maybe if we keep these three things, and we do what we're supposed to, we can bring this assimilation from 80%. 80%, you know how scary this is? The Chidot says that only one-fifth of us, is that fair? Under our watch, that, that, that we're going to see Mashiach? And four-fifths of Klaishol is going to be gone? Are we going to allow that? We can't allow that. So we have to make sure that our children don't assimilate. So if we don't want them to assimilate, we want our families to have zero assimilation, we need to keep those things. We should all be Zaycha. Everybody in this room should be Zaycha. Tonight is Rishchidah Shvat. You know what Shvat stands for? Shetihiyah Bisurot Tovot. That we should have all good news. Thank you very much. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.